everybody, Don Mewal here with Homology and the Vertex team. We've got Nate Foster here and Vince Yao, and we're going to talk about some really helpful things today with energy news, some weekly topics, and even some things about Japan today. So let's start our first thing out with energy news. Uh, what's going on, guys? Gas prices are still going up. What do you think? Yeah. Well, at least they slowed down a little bit. I mean, last week, I think we had, what, a 10-cent 10, uh, 10 rise between between uh, the week prior and last week. Yeah. I think this week it's only been 3 cents, so it seems like maybe we were at least stabilized. I don't think it's over by any stretch, because isn't it uh, generally a pretty common that once we hit some of the uh, like Labor Day weekends, things like that, prices automatically go up just because of the holiday and driving right. and things like that? Yeah. So. Yeah, Memorial Day coming up. Well, that's a little ways off yet, so yeah, I would expect that we could see Labor Day see is that more of a ways off than Memorial Day is. This is true. This is true. <laughs> did I say Labor Day? Good job. I did. Oh, yeah. wow. I, yeah, I meant Memorial Day, but you're right. <laughs> the theme is it's probably going to go up. It's not going to Yeah. Down. It's yeah. probably not stopping. It's kind of the same same demand thing as uh, heating oil. So, yeah. Um, heating oil went down a little bit, uh, down to 269 a gallon. Yes, a little um, So... Again, probably demand maybe dropping off as far as heating oil goes. So, um, if you're if you do buy heating oil, um, definitely try to hold off until the off seasons. Um, it's definitely always cheaper in you know June, July, August. Um, but again, yeah, I always found I think probably. I think July is like the place where it usually always tanks the furthest. Yeah, tail end of July, you usually get your best deal. And for people that have multiple tanks and stuff, hey, fill them to the top, get them warm yeah. because I think it's a that's definitely the way to go. Yep, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it, it, I, I would say that it's still going to be interesting to see how this summer plays out. Um, we have, uh, I mean, as long as it, it, I guess as long as it kind of stays where it's at, we might not really see any changes to what we what we see as a company. But yeah, um, my my thought is is that if it does keep on going on, especially if it starts hitting that three twenty five range. Um, I think there we'll start seeing uh, a lot of people starting to turn um, their their uh, turn their their living the way they do things a little bit differently, uh, being trying to be more energy efficient. Right. And yeah. um, as as systems fail and things like that, I think they'll start looking at alternative energies. So yeah, yeah. I guess we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I guess we can jump right into our weekly topic, and that is geothermal heat pumps and how they work. Who, who wants, uh, which one of you want to tackle that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of following up, you know, kind of on renewable energy a little bit, um, using geothermal heat pumps. Um, what do you think the easiest way to go about that is? I mean, you should probably understand a little bit about heat pump um, knowledge before we get into yeah. geothermal heat pumps. It, you know, it's yeah. always it's always a challenge uh, to explain heat pump technology in general, I find, but uh, yeah. over the years, I think the best way that seems to work when I'm explaining this to people is starting, rather than starting with a geothermal, let's just start with a normal heat pump, yeah. the one that sits outside yeah. right. of your house. And so people ask me all the time, so it's 10 degrees outside and it's ferocious cold, I have that thing sitting out there running now. How how in the world is that thing making heat? And uh, the reality is, is that unless you get down to absolute zero, which is 400-some degrees below zero, there's always heat in the air. And we use the refrigeration cycle and coils where air passes over it to more or less pick up that heat, whatever it is. So even though it feels cold to us, 
there's still heat there and still heat that can be extracted. Yep. And so over, you know, even in that really cold weather, um, we have uh, the heat pump picking up heat, taking that into a coil inside where again, we, we just change the refrigerant around a little bit. And, and in that process, it, it, ex, it exemplifies the heat or makes the heat higher, which is why all of a sudden you can feel heat at your ductwork. Now, colder is outside. Unfortunately, the cool of the air is coming out of the register. Right. So, but you take that same heat pump and you do that on a 50 degree day uh, when we still want to have heat in the house. Man, that thing is going to be so incredibly efficient because there's so much heat that's inside that outside air at 50 degrees. Yeah, exactly. And so that's the, that's the thing where any heat pump, it doesn't matter if it's an air heat pump or a geothermal heat pump, if you're going to give it 55 degrees as its median to work. It's going to be very, very efficient. It's going to make a lot of heat. It's going to make the air coming out of the register feel great. So that's that's kind of the premise on how a heat pump really works. Yep. Now, all we do with geothermal is very simple. It's the exact same technology, but instead of having an outdoor unit outside that's going to fluctuate with the outside temperature and its efficiency and its temperature, it's a, you know, and, and everything else is attached to that. I mean, even its capacity is going to get changed as it gets colder outside. Uh, so you, if you think you have a two-ton heat pump and it's 10 degrees outside, well, you probably have about a one-ton, if not less. Uh, it's just not going to make the capacity it's supposed to, to make. With geothermal, all we do is we take water deep into the earth inside of a pipe, and we bring it back up again to hopefully by the time it goes down into the ground and it's down there long enough, it's going to come back up. It's coming back up at ground temperature, which is 55 degrees. Mm-hmm. 55 degrees, just like in air, is very, very efficient, and that's exactly what we do. So now instead of taking air across the coil, we take this 55 degree water over the coil, extract the heat from the water, putting it into your air, and it's just always there. It's it's very consistent in temperature, um, and, and therefore you get that efficiency almost all year round. Now, I should say, I mean, here in Pennsylvania, um, uh, by the time you get to the end of a heating season, we've extracted so much heat out of the ground that that borehole, which can be, you know, it's going to be several hundred feet deep, um, will actually get cold enough that we'll actually start to see it drop off in temperature. Now, just like a, a normal heat pump, um, you're going to see a drop in efficiency to some extent, uh, just not quite as much as you would see in an air heat pump. Um, but what's good about that is, is that generally towards the end of the season means that you're not going to need it as much anymore. We're about ready to switch over into the next season. And so hypothetically, um, you have this big battery of cold going down into the ground, which when you switch over to the now air conditioning mode, if it wasn't a super long duration, you can actually take advantage of that where that coal is going to still be very, very cold and you're not going to reverse the cycle, right. pulling that cold back out and actually utilizing and making the, the system much more efficient in the beginning of the season than what it would be in the tail end. So that's kind of the, I don't know if that helped. I don't know if I made it yeah. more confusing. You guys might be able to tell me, but that's how I seem to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, I think you touched pretty much on everything. Um, two things that I think we could take that just kind of a step farther. Um, one, I mean, what you explained was what we would consider um, an open loop geo mm-hmm. um, for instance and, and a lot of times customers do get confused on what does open loop mean and what does closed loop mean and it just means that it's just that a we either have an open loop where we're taking water out of one hole and we're dumping it back into another one 
um, or we have a closed loop system um, where we're actually just running it down, not quite as deep as like what a borehole would be, um, but we're basically running like a, a line through a trench almost and then reusing that water. Um, so that's where we start talking about glycol and things like that, which are antifreeze to make sure that doesn't freeze because that water can get down below freezing. But again, with the refrigerant hitting that water, um, we can still extract a lot of heat out of it um, and put a lot of heat back into it um, in the air conditioning season. Yeah. So um, the other thing too, that's with, with geothermals and where we do save a lot of energy is that there really is no need for uh, a geothermal heat pump to defrost. Um, to, to go into a defrost where we're using a lot of um, electric heat, like sh just straight electric heat. Um, whereas like a heat pump, after a period, a long period of runtime, um, where we do have higher moisture outside, uh, your outdoor coil um, on a regular heat pump uh, will actually start to freeze. Um, and that's where the system actually has to go into what's called defrost um, to where it basically puts hot refrigerant back in that outdoor coil, brings the electric heat on in your home, so that you're not running for a period of time without any heat at all. Um, so that's kind of where the, another big cost in energy savings come from too, uh, is because you don't really have to run the electric heat on your geothermal heat pump. Right. So that would, I would say that's another really big difference between the two um, and where you do see um, substantial energy savings too. So. Yeah, and you talked a little bit about the, the electric heat. Uh, so every yeah. heat pump, geothermal included, has backup heat. The thing is that um, in my explanation of a standard heat pump. So as the temperature outside drops, the capacity of the unit drops with it. It doesn't make right. as much heat as it's supposed to or that it can. Um, but then keep in mind, as the temperature outside is dropping, the load on the house is actually rising. In other words, your house requires more heat because it's yep. losing it faster. So you have, kind of a, uh, you have kind of a mix of two things happening there, but it's all going the wrong direction for you. You're, you're losing capacity, losing efficiency on the unit, losing heat out of the house faster, and therefore that electric heat that you just talked about is something that's actually very much designed to be there for those periods of time where your heat pump's not going to keep up and it's going to bring that on to help at least heat the house. With geothermal, we just see a lot less runtime on that yeah. because of the fact that, again, we're using a, a better median so we don't lose the capacity that we would normally be losing. And if the system is sized correctly, you know, you might not see that electric heat coming on until it's like 30 degrees outside. Right. You know, yeah. or maybe even deeper than that. Yeah, exactly. And, and the really, really important reason why we start to talk about geothermal um, heat pumps uh, is just because uh, of the renewable aspect of it too. Um, so we're using far less amounts of energy, um, which is why there's so many tax credits on it right now. Why they're, uh, why, you know, the government's encouraging homeowners to look at installing it. So, you know, that's why we really look at that and, and really promote geothermal heating and cooling. It's good for the environment. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And not to step on, on the other green energies, but um, I, in my opinion, I think the geothermal is one of the cleanest energies, not only from the standpoint of the operation of it, but in the building of it. So we're looking at, first of all, a technology that's been around with us for a very, very long time. It's yep. been proven. It's been worked at. It's been maximized and, and, and is continuing to be maximized. Uh, but the thing is, when it comes to the manufacturing, the carbon footprint that it takes to make a geothermal unit and get into somebody's house and the installation and all that, mm -hmm. um, it is a very low carbon footprint versus you know some of the others where, I mean, yeah, solar panels are very efficient once they're installed and everything. It's just getting there. Um, that could be kind of a dirty um, yeah. process, getting a, a solar cell built. Um, and then also, even on the tail end, I'm not sure that, I personally have not heard of a, 
of a great way uh, how we're going to uh, deal with all the cells in 25 years when they kind of lose their life. Right. I don't know that they're really recyclable uh, or anything like that. Hopefully by then we get that figured out. But geothermal, uh, we can we can cut that thing down and we can recycle every every ounce of it. Yeah, that's you know? actually yeah, that's a good point because a lot of a lot of times we. Um, we, we get the customer we get the customer that asks the question every now and then well um, refrigerant is, is somewhat of a, a toxic right. chemical if we're yep. mixing water with refrigerant how do we avoid having anything happen in the ground or happen to their well drinking water or anything like that and the, the main answer to that is just that the system has so many safeties built into it yeah. that yes it is running kind of side by side but they're in two separate pipes um, and two separate locations for this so for that to happen I mean it would be almost impossible right. um, for something to actually happen like that but again there's a lot of safeties built in, into that and to, you know, to avoid that and make sure it is a safe clean renewable energy really right. so. yeah very good well, yeah, I'm going to ask some questions you guys yeah. for the non-technical people out there sure you guys used some comments like uh, boreholes and things like that so what's that really mean like if, if I'm a homeowner and I yep. want to get a geothermal unit put in my house what, what do I have to do do I have to do anything as a homeowner or do you guys take care of all of it Pretty, pretty normal question you got right there. So, um, again, going back to, uh, I think it was like 2008 through 2012, somewhere near when our oil prices were up really high the last time. Um, the, the prices were high enough that people would actually really take the time to research and look into it. Yeah. And what I found is a lot of questions around that right there. So how, I mean, I don't have geothermal right now. I just got a, a normal heat pump or I just have yeah. a gas furnace or an oil boiler or whatever it is. Can you even do it in my house? Right. I mean, that's kind of a right very on. standard thing. Yeah. What people don't realize is how incredibly easy it is. Uh, yes, the, it can be. It can be daunting to think about. You know, a you know a thirty ton uh, well drilling rig coming into your front yard and and setting up and making the mess that it makes, but. The reality is, is that within a day, we can have all the work that's underground, you know, the drilling, getting it into your house um, and, and all that stuff, and then even get to redo your yard, you know, and all that stuff. I mean, that all just kind of happens. It's just another day for us. And uh, when, when our guys come out, they, they do all their equipment, they do the ductwork if you want to have ductwork. Um, but the thing is, is that uh, we usually have a landscaper following in behind us, redoing your yard, planting some brand new grad seed. Within you know, within a month of us being there, you don't even know we did anything. In fact, yeah. your house will sometimes look better because, unfortunately, we do choose the front yard because again, we got a thirty-ton rig. If you live in a development, getting that in the backyard is kind of tough. Right. Um, and now that's and and again, I'm speaking for our local. Um, uh, local uh, environment where we we have a lot of really hard rock we do use very large uh, hammers uh, on the drills uh, whereas if you're down like closer to the shore or uh, even some other areas where they get to do mud rotary that's a lot less daunting it's a smaller rig everything about it's easier yeah, yeah. Um, but here it's it can be a little bit it can be a little scary and there's nothing quiet about it's it. actually pretty neat i have one in my house and it was a neat process to watch yeah. watch it happen yeah. so yeah, and, and you don't need much of a spot. That's the next thing in people right. ask. Do I need like a lot of land? No, you don't. I mean, we've done, we've already uh, uh, done jobs with in the city where all they had is that little tiny front yard in front of their row home, and uh, we were able to back a rig in there. They only needed about three hundred and fifty feet, so it wasn't a very deep hole. And uh, it did take a little extra management. It took a little bit extra. Um, uh, There's definitely some more hurdles to jump there. Uh, but at the end of the day, they were able to get it in. They were determined, um, and that's all it's to it. It's yeah. just, but uh, yeah, and 
you, the, the thing about the tax credit is all those extra costs generally are the offset of that tax credit, which you'll get back. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. Nate, I got one question for you, and then we can move on. Okay. You started talking about defrost, and what what's that really mean to the average owner? What, explain what defrost means and why yeah. on a geothermal that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, so in a very simple term, uh, when we have the, in a, in a standard air-to-air heat pump, um, when we have your, your condensing unit or the, the unit outside, um, what, what happens is because we're, we're pulling so much heat from that, from that coil or from the outside air, when we're pulling that air across the coil, because the coil temperature is so cold, any kind of moisture in the air, anything like that, basically as soon as it hits that coil, um, it just kind of freezes on contact. Um, so what happens is, is during like a long run cycle, um, because it's so easy to freeze that, uh, your outdoor coil will actually start to ice up. Okay. Um, the whole thing will start to ice up. And when it, when it ices up like that, it almost acts like an insulator. Um, so when we, we're pulling air across that, it, it stops at a point where we can't remove heat gotcha. um, from the outside air to put into your home. Then. So you're de-icing. Um, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Just um, like a plane with de-ice. That's it. So then what we do is we just run the warm refrigerant back through that coil. It melts all the ice off of off, off of it, um, and then we can turn it back into a heat pump again and start operating. And with a geothermal, everything's inside, exactly. so you don't have to have yep. that. Yeah, okay. and then because the ground temperature is, is always that consistent, you know, 50, 40 degrees, uh, we never got have it. That, so Good. Yep. Well, any other comments on geothermals, guys? That's pretty much it. I mean, Nothing. Have, I mean, there's, yeah. and it's no, there's really... Um, there's really no type of house or building that 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 can't get it. It does sometimes take a creative um, installer. A lot of guys, there. I'll admit that a lot of guys in our industry are afraid of the product because they don't fully understand it. But yeah. if you find a good geo guy uh, that does the work um, on a regular basis, uh, it's just another day. It's a walk in the park, and then the thing is, they'll see they'll see people all the way through it from the start to the end. Make sure that the uh, if there's any anxiety there, <laughs> they can just kind of help put it to rest. You know, so. <laughs> all right. So if anybody's interested in geothermal, give us a call. Check yeah. out our website. Call, ask for Nate or Vince. They'll be glad to to help you out. Certainly. Yeah. And if you're not in our area too, I mean, we have connections all across the in the nation. I mean. Um, we can we can help you out there too in helping to find a reputable contractor in your area. Um, be more than happy to help you out with that. So. Yeah. All right. Next topic, Vince. I think I heard you talk about this today down at the coffee spot. Um, it looks like some prices are going to be going up. What's what's going on there? You know, I've been in, I've been in the business for a very very long time, and um, and we always see you know prices and increases. You know, usually first quarter they try to hit us with that, and that's a pretty regular thing every year. Um, this this year is very very different. Um, not only are we seeing price increases, but we're seeing substantial price increases. And it's not just on this product or that product or maybe one commodity or, or so. It's across the board. I mean, it is everything. I mean, uh, the, so uh, the other week, uh, the storms that they had down in Texas, a lot of the resins that, are, that make PVC, um, are, yeah. they come from Texas. Uh, their plants have been shut down. Um, therefore, the resin's hard to get a hold of. PVC pipe went up like forty percent in the last few days. Forty percent. Right. I mean, I mean, we're used to seeing increases of three, four, maybe five percent. Forty is insane. Uh, and now that was a supply issue, so that one's understandable. That will most likely recheck itself in in fairly short order within the next few months, anyway. Um, so I'm not too concerned about that. The other stuff is a little more concerning because 
apparently um, it's not so much a, uh, a problem of, of product um, being sold between the countries. It's a problem of getting it here. Yeah. Um, I just heard the other day that uh, a lot of this, I guess the port of Los Angeles is one of the largest ports in, in America. And so uh, normally there's several container ships out out in the port waiting to come in to be unloaded. You know, but you might be looking at a handful, three, four, five, six, you know, something like that. They say right now it's like over 60 wow. are sitting in the yeah. port waiting to be unloaded. They could be out there for up to a month. You know, so our products, even though they're showing shipped, as long as they're sitting on that ship right. <laughs> out in the ocean, it doesn't do me a lot of good. Yeah. So, so the shortages is going to be the other issue uh, that's going to help drive pricing, uh, but it's going to also um, it's going to make getting things a little bit difficult. So uh, one of the suppliers, uh, the owners to one of the suppliers, actually contacted me directly and more or less just said, "Hey, listen, just prepare yourself. Um, you know, there is going to be shortages. There is going to be significant price increases." Uh, don't expect your typical price increase and then it goes away for a year. Um, they're not even willing to hold pricing on certain things for, for more than 15 days. Yeah. So that there is the first I've ever seen that while being in business. I mean, we had a little bit of an issue with that in copper quite a few years ago, uh, but I uh, haven't seen anything like this before, especially when it's across the board on almost everything that we sell. So, you know, for the customer, um, we, I mean, I don't know exactly how we're going to get this out because nobody really heeds our warnings anyway. Right. But the thing is, is, this year could be a substantial savings getting things in now versus waiting until demand season. Demand season right. is when everybody else decides to turn their stuff on or decides to make it more efficient or they, it's finally time to do something or it needs to be serviced. Um, just don't wait. If you know your system's on the line and it's soon time to replace it, you might want to consider doing it now. Most companies are still, you know, slower in March here, um, and you can get better deals out of them. Um, pricing, you know, isn't upside down yet. Um, so, yeah. There was ever a year to be proactive. This is it, and more than ever. Yeah. Yeah, and um, not to mention, I mean, even the even. There's at least four manufacturers that I know of in Texas that um, were definitely hit by you know the ice storms and stuff right. that were down there, and uh, so they were shut down for production for a couple of days. Um, and then, as far as them making the product too, I mean they're running into issues too because of getting the supplies for the product here um, and getting them made, um, not just in Texas, but that's going to be you know nationwide, like you said. So yeah, well, and I think too the. Uh uh, then you throw in the whole COVID uh, debacle that we had over the past. Now some of these yeah. places are starting to open up, but you know, during COVID, the assembly lines that would have had 30 people on had to knock it down to like five or six, so they had to be a lot more spread out. Well, that all of a sudden means that you aren't getting nearly as many units out the door um, as you should, and therefore it's a uh, um, it's becoming more problematic that. Um, you know, just in that regards and just getting it manufactured, but you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. The supply side is going to be, um, you know, who cares if you have a whole line of people if there's nothing coming yeah, in on the other right, side right. of it, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't help right. either. So exactly. I think we could be seeing some things that we've never seen before. Um, and, and to be honest, I mean, as an owner, uh, I'm not exactly sure what I'm looking to do. I feel like I'd like to order a lot of stock in and a lot of things, uh, just to kind of, a, um, you know, Pass on that savings to our customers, right? And help them out, yeah. But it's like, what do you buy? Because there's such a wide variety right. anymore, and so many things to offer. Is you don't want to kind of shoehorn yourself in because this is what I decided to buy. So yep. we have a lot to figure out over the next few weeks. It's 
going to definitely challenge some business owners and, and supply houses and things like that. So good good time to be proactive. If you want to get it done, get her done. Yeah. You would probably say have more to say this than anybody need, but... I mean, there's nothing worse than a 93 degree day and you find that this customer all of a sudden has a dead unit and the best news we have for them is, hey, we'll see if we can't get you in sometime in the next month or two. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, who wants to hear it that? Is, it is probably the worst feeling um, that, that you can ever feel. Uh, it's not It's not fun. Um, and that's, we talked about it probably the last two weeks in a row here and um, it's going to make it's going to make maintenance even more important this year than it has in years mm-hmm. past. Um, making sure that you know if if you're having maintenance on your system, and making sure we're catching those problems early for one. Yeah. Uh, for two, if it, if it looks like it, you know, it's even close to being on the end of its life cycle. Um, again, we're letting you know that up front um, so that you can make those educated decisions and get the system replaced. Um, you know, a good rule of thumb just to kind of keep track of too uh, is that average system life is somewhere between you know 10 and 12 years so um if you if you're looking at those and then we do see that there are some problems that you know something to consider as far as replacement goes that goes with hvac or water heaters right it does yeah yeah. more so water heaters than hvac equipment sometimes we can get a little bit more out of hvac equipment if we're doing regular maintenance on it um but yeah again water heaters are another another aspect of that true Another thing that I'll say too, and a lot of people don't realize this, but from a maintenance standpoint, um, obviously we don't like to do maintenances on air conditioning equipment when it's you know you know twenty degrees outside. Yeah, it's really hard to get a good accurate number. But right. as soon as it gets over sixty degrees outside, we can get some really accurate information off yeah. of that piece of equipment, even though it's not really technically hot enough to need it. Yeah. Uh, but if we have if we can get our gear on there, we get our our, our our equipment on that, we can tell you a lot of things at sixty degrees very accurately whether or not you got yourself a, a working system this year or not. Yeah, even with some of the new tools and technologies that we have out, um, you know, even if, if it is a, a newer system um, or it's using um, the newer refrigerant, mm-hmm. even 45 degrees, we can usually get away with um, testing air conditioning and, yeah. um, and, and things now. So, yeah, so it's, it's not too early to, to get in for your air conditioning maintenance um, and let your HVAC contractor know you need maintenance done. So yep, never too early. You so heard never, it again. Never too early. Yeah, I guess yeah. this is all about being proactive. <laughs> <high. laughs> it's all good stuff. Good. Well, I think we'll we'll wrap it up here, but that's another version of homology, and uh, it's great talking to you guys. And we have a couple of exciting things next week with some. We'll probably be talking about being proactive again. I would think. I'm not sure, but I'm sure we'll be have some exciting information for you next week. Have a good week. All right. Thank you.